0: This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship the Lord our God.
1: Praise the Lord, O my soul.
2: I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all of in it? Who keeps you safe forever?
1: Who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free.
2: The Lord, Lord, the, Lord
1: the, the Lord watches over the strangers. God upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked God brings to ruin. The Lord will reign Your God will for all Praise the Lord. Great is our God and worthy of praise. God's goodness knows no limit. God's faithfulness toward us is boundless. God, your majesty and glory surround us here. We've come together to celebrate your presence and to offer songs of praise and worship. We've come to rejoice in your mighty acts and to retell the story of your goodness throughout history and in our own lives. Move among us as we worship together. May your spirit guide and inspire our thoughts and actions as we spend this time in your presence. In the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ.
0: You may be seated. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Both everyone gathered in this sanctuary and also those worshiping in other locations, we are glad and get grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, that means that our word of welcome is one that has no exceptions whatsoever. All are welcome in Christ's house, and all are welcome here at First Church. We would ask everyone gathered for worship, please, to sign the Friendship Pad. If you'll sign that, send it down the pew and back again, even if you're the only person on your pew. That way we will have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of this service. And when you're done, just tear that, last, that sheet off and lay it on top of the, the pad to make it easy for our ushers to clean up. I'd like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which will take place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp. There you will find that our deacons have put out some cookies or pastry and and coffee and lemonade, but most importantly, you will find the opportunity to engage with one another in ways that we cannot when we are in worship. I'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin for your particular attention. The first you'll see you have an insert about something called Realm. Realm is a new software that our church is adopting and for many of us, we will use a lot of the Realm app, but for others, we may use a little bit of it. I think you'll probably be most excited as I am to have your church directory on your smartphone. But you might need a little bit of help getting that set up. So after church next Sunday on October the 2nd, our team will be happy to help anyone who needs help getting set up on Realm to get set up so that you have access to this tool and you can use it in whatever form it works best for you. We will, by the way, continue to offer all of the previous ways that we connected you before. You'll still have access to a paper directory if you want one. Uh, Anything that we would access through Realm, you'll still be able to access the traditional way. It's just an opportunity for us to expand what we do and to make it a little bit easier to connect with one another. There will be a discussion on today's sermon. We're in the third of a week, a, a series of five on the Lord's Prayer. That will take place upstairs, uh, not in the McCall room this week, but in the Penn's Village room, which is just one room further down the hall. Dolores Brisbane will lead in the conversation, so please do come up and have some conversation about the Lord's Prayer. The link for that, by the way, for those who wish to participate virtually, is on the same page as the link for worship. So if you're looking at us now, you'll know how to find the link for that later. I'd like to highlight as well uh, that there are other opportunities to plug into the life of faith, which you will always find on our church website. Now, finally, as a family of faith, we share together both our joys and we share our sorrows. And this week we have both joy and sorrow to share. It is my great joy to announce to you the birth of Madeline, Madeline Louise Pease, who is the daughter of Carrie Rogers and James Pease, and most importantly, perhaps for, for us, John and Diane Rogers' granddaughter. So we are excited and ecstatic with them over the, ha- the healthy birth of Madeline, Madeline Louise. We are also, we share with one another in burdens. And so it is my sad duty to inform you of the death of Jerry Valerie at the age of 102, truly a life well lived by Jerry. A memorial service for him will be held at his children's church, Grace Baptist Church of Germantown, On October the 11th at 10 a.m. and we'll send this out in an email for you. Let us pause now to give thanks both for the gift of new life as well as the gift of a life well-lived. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God our hearts are filled with joy at the safe arrival of Madeline. We pray your blessing would rest on her this day and every day hereafter. And likewise, as a family of faith, our hearts are filled with grieving over the death of Jerry Valerie. You who sustained him his entire life have now received him as your own. And so we give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That concludes our announcements. Let us now continue worship with our confession of sin.
1: Knowing that we pray to a God who is generous and quick to forgive, let us offer our prayer of confession, first together and then in a time of silence. Holy God, giver of all that is good, we recognize that you are the source of all that is. The breath of life is a gift from your generous hand. The food we eat is grown in the world you sustain. The community that supports us is called into being by you. Everything we have is a gift from you. So why do we live as though we made our own blessings? Why do we fail to recognize the vastness of what we owe you? Is it our sin that makes us live as though we don't trust your goodness? Forgive us, we pray. Teach us again what it is to rely upon you. Remind us that we are always in your loving care. Fill us with grace and goodwill that our hearts might overflow from the fullness of your love. Scripture says that by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one might boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. hmm Our first scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Leviticus, in the 25th chapter. Hear these words. If any one of your kin falls into difficulty and sells a piece of property, then the next of kin shall come and redeem what the relative has sold. If the person has no one to redeem it, but then prospers and finds sufficient means to do so, the years since its sale shall be computed, and the difference shall be refunded to the person to whom it was sold, and the property shall be returned. But if there is not sufficient means to recover it, what was sold shall remain with the purchaser until the year of jubilee. In the jubilee it shall be released, and the property shall be returned. Our second reading comes in the 16th chapter of the book of Exodus. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days.
0: Our gospel lesson is taken from the 20th chapter of Matthew, the first 16 verses. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out at nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you what is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon, and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us, he said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last work only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Last Tuesday, knowing that I had a rather full week, I decided to take an early crack at this sermon. It did not go well. I had a lot of facts about bread and debts, and it was starting to look a lot like a string of pearls of wisdom with no string to connect them. Then a friend of mine asked me about what I do about sermon writing and church administration and the daily tasks of a pastor. And as I answered, I realized that sustaining faith, yours and mine, is central to what we do as a church. And that's really at the heart of what it means to be church. As I like to say, churches don't need to redo their mission and vision every few years because our mission and vision don't change. What we have to do is figure out how we are going to carry them out how we are going to spread the good news of God's grace, which takes a lot of different forms. But that left me thinking in turn, how often a word like grace, which is so important to our faith, gets misunderstood. It has nothing to do with our kinesiology. I am a klutz's klutz. And I am very grateful that when we speak of the grace of God in theological terms, it has nothing to do with whether or not we can walk through a room without running into the walls or falling down the stairs <clears throat> or out the front door. We need to understand grace. We need to be able to speak plainly about grace. To do that, we need a working definition, and although God is infinite, and that means our definitions will always ultimately be incomplete, we still need to know what we're talking about. My preferred definition is a simple one. Grace is the unmerited, unearned, and unconditional love of God. God does not love us because we merit it by way of beauty or intellect or any other attribute. God does not love us because we have earned it by doing good works. And nothing we can ever do will make God love us one bit more or one bit less. Because God's love is unconditional. We need to speak plainly about these things. But it is astonishing at times the lengths to which folks will go to make something appear not to be about exactly what it is about. We are speaking of doublespeak. One definition of doublespeak notes... Most doublespeak can be classified as euphemism, gobbledygook, inflated language, and jargon. It went on to give examples, and my favorite was actually of gobbledygook. Get this. When the party in the first part provides the aforementioned goods to the party in the second part, such party shall acknowledge receipt of said item once the party of the first part hereby warrants its condition as suitable for transfer and in light of exchange of consideration, instead of, I will sell you this for X dollars. Politicians seem to be the most adept at this maneuver, but theologians can occasionally be counted upon to deliver obfuscations of, well, biblical proportions. One such example relates to the interpretation of give us this day our daily bread. Elsie McKee writes, According to Erasmus, the bread for which we pray is not mere earthly food. In the paraphrases, Erasmus calls the bread heavenly doctrine, and the longer precatio dominica is similar. In the annotations of the New Testament, it is less clear what the bread is, but it is also more explicitly described as not being earthly. Erasmus prefers the interpretation of super-substantial, beyond natural food, because, quote, in such a heavenly prayer, Christ would not speak of that kind of bread that even the Gentiles receive from their parents. And Martin Luther took the bait. In his early writings, daily bread is principally meant to be the preaching of the word. So according to Erasmus and Luther, when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, what you're really asking for is daily sermons. I didn't think so. <laughs> for what it's worth, John Calvin thought that Jesus meant actual bread. He attacked Erasmus' view as unbiblical. It is clear that God intends us to trust in God for basic bodily needs, such as food. While it's true that Jesus does say that one does not live by bread alone, Calvin is right, because when Jesus uses words like Bread and debt, he uses them in the context of the Torah. Jesus, a rabbi, would surely have used language the way his people would have understood it. And Jesus' people all remembered a storied season of receiving their daily manna, their daily bread straight from the hand of God. So if we're going to talk about daily bread, let's be clear about it. We are praying for sustenance. And if indeed we believe this is a prayer for the whole world, we are praying for the sustenance of every single person. When we pray for daily bread, we pray that God will give us what we need to live The Shorter Catechism teaches in the fourth petition, which is give us this day our daily bread, we pray that of God's free gift we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. It's not an overstatement when we say that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God's gracious abundance. God's generous dealings with creation began the minute God caused cells to cluster out of the primordial ooze, and over the eons fashioned from that clay our mortal bodies and breathed the breath of life into us. God's generous dealings with creation are never more evident than when creativity is manifested in God's creatures. The invention of the wheel and the lever, and sanitation. And God's gracious abundance with us shows itself in the intelligence that figured out that lenses can enable the nearly blind to see, and a lump of plastic, silicon, and lithium can restore hearing to the nearly deaf. The overflowing of God's abundance is made known to us in seasons of sunlight and rain that allow for agriculture and the reproduction of livestock so that our supermarket shelves may be full of good food. If we are honest with ourselves about the source of our daily bread, we know that we owe God a debt that can never be repaid. John Dominic Crossan notes, We owe it to God to run God's world responsibly. We owe the divine householder the conservation of the world house. We owe the divine homemaker the consecration of the earth home. We owe God adequate care of all of God's creation. We owe God collaboration in hallowing God's name in establishing God's kingdom and in doing God's will as in heaven, so also on earth. We owe it to God, he goes on, to cease focusing on heaven, especially in order to avoid focusing on earth. We owe it to God to ensure that there is enough food and not too much debt in God's well-run household. And if we owe that much, how do we relate debt if indeed we believe this is a prayer for the whole world we are praying for the needs of every single person and furthermore if we are serious about praying both in gratitude and in humility for the needs of the world it should shape how we see the next petition of the Lord's prayer and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors in Matthew's Greek text. The word is debt. Luke muddies the waters, though, using a word sin, the word for sin, which incidentally is how the word trespasses got into the liturgical vernacular of other denominations. Just as Jesus knew what the Bible says about bread, he would also have known what the Bible says about debt. And the Bible has some astonishing teachings about debt. I do realize that Leviticus is perhaps better known for some other passages, but did you know that the concept of Jubilee is enshrined in the 25th chapter of Leviticus? Jubilee in the Bible is about the cancellation of debts. Every 50th year, the Hebrews were commanded to practice a radical forgiveness of debts. Deuteronomy also plays off the concept of Sabbath relief and commands such freedom every 7th year. And I understand any conversation around the topic of debt is likely to be fraught, but nonetheless, it's what the prayer says. And when Jesus gave us the prayer, he knew what the Bible said about debt. So taking Luke and Matthew's version of the prayer together, we owe God our gratitude for the debt of life that we cannot repay, and likewise we owe God our contrition for the sins we have committed against God's abundant life. And then it gets real as we forgive our debtors those who sin against us. And you know what? Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness means we give up the right to get back at the ones who hurt us. And forgiveness is never more real than when there is something real to forgive. We have all hurt others, and we have all been hurt by others. That is the reality of sin. It isn't always a cataclysm. It can be a slight. It can be an unshared but uncharitable thought that manifests itself in unfair treatment of another, It can be as simple as taking out our irritation over a bad day on someone who doesn't deserve it. But sin can also be systemic, like racism and sexism and ageism and homophobia. And none of it is what God wants for us or from us. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, means, because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do, or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us, just as we are fully determined, as evidence of your grace in us, to forgive our neighbors. There it is, as evidence of your grace in us. Grace is the unmerited, unearned, unconditional love of God. Jesus wanted to make the nature of grace plain. The parable of the laborers that we read today makes it clear that God chooses to be generous with us. But there's a shadow side to the forgiveness of debts, isn't there? The quivering chin of the prodigal's older brother as he held back tears over his feeling that his father had never given him his due. The and fury of those who worked all day long and were paid the same as those who breezed in at quitting time. Oh, we know what is fair, don't we? I mean, my dogs know what is fair. They can count treats. If we want to see an injured beagle give one an extra treat and not the other. They can count the treats, and so can we. That's really what it all boils down to, doesn't it? Counting the treats. We sure do know what is unfair. And what's more, even if we don't let our grumblings see the light of day, They reside within us, coloring our perception of the world, of our daily bread, of the generosity of God. Perhaps that is how we come to a place where we see God's world of generosity as a world of scarcity. But then, it always comes down to the fundamental unfairness of the cross from which the grace of God is made known in its ultimate expression we didn't merit Christ dying for us we surely didn't earn it and yet there stands the cross as the unconditional expression of the love of God and it's not gobbledygook It needs to be plain. We have received all that we need from a generous hand. Therefore, let us be generous in our consideration of others, their lives, their needs. Let us be generous as God is generous with us.
1: Together, proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. You may be seated. All that we have, all that we are, is a gift from God. Remembering the abundant life that God has offered us, let us dedicate a portion to return it to God, the giver of all. I invite you to bring forward your morning offering during the offertory if you wish, and there are also ways to give online you can find in the bulletin. Generous God, like the Israelites in the wilderness, we too have known your love and experienced your care and provision. You invite us to extend that love to the world around us, to care for others as deeply as we care for ourselves. And so we bring the needs of our world before you now. We pray for the many who do not have enough, enough food to eat or shelter to keep warm, enough employment or money to pay their bills, enough medicine or medical care. We pray for those who are unsafe in their own home, who are refugees in distant lands, who live in the midst of war and violence, who suffer persecution or live in communities torn apart by gun violence, for those in places impacted by natural disasters or the growing realities of climate change. We also pray for those who have more than enough, but who still struggle to find meaning and purpose in life, who indulge in dangerous or self-serving activities to dull their pain or loneliness. God, your grace reaches out to all of us. You call us to live as citizens of heaven, working together with one heart and mind. Strengthen us to live in a manner worthy of the good news we have received, offering our lives in service of your kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last, and there is grace enough for all. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We pray these things and the prayer that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.
0: has done what God has done. It doesn't change based on our perception of it. But we do have a choice to see it as enough or to see it as not enough. That's the difference between a life abundant and everything else. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.